This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. We're going to talk about the types of debt that you can consolidate using either a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy. And this is going to be a good segment because it'll cover things from credit cards to taxes, student loans, vehicle financing, all of that stuff. Blair's going to break down the key differences in common consumer debt and explain which ones you consolidate and uh, look after with a consumer proposal or get forgiven in a personal bankruptcy. So Blair, what are the most common types or categories of debt for somebody to have? You know, there's a couple ways to come at this question. And I've, you know, heard people say, you know, there's good debt and there's bad debt. And yeah, that's one way to categorize debt. Um, The way I look at it as a trustee is what are the ways our debt can impact you, especially if they're unpaid. So you can say, you know, debt is good or bad, but what does it mean if that debt goes unpaid? What's the impact upon yourself personally? What does it mean for you if you have to restructure a debt? And most debts we can categorize into various different buckets. And then you can see how they can be treated differently um, with respect to claims on your assets, your income, all those different factors. So a couple of the most common types of debt, the most common one by far is a general unsecured consumer debt. And it sounds like a bit of a mouthful, but what unsecured means is just that debt is not backed by an asset. The lender doesn't hold any collateral in exchange for giving you credit. So unless you structure it otherwise, uh, most types of debts fall into this unsecured debt category. That includes your standard credit cards, your basic overdraft. Um, so, you know, credit cards for six out of 10 people that we survey, that's their main cause of debt and a credit card is just about always an unsecured debt. Um, Payday loans and personal loans, typically very high interest, very high cost financing. You usually don't pledge an asset when you go to take out a payday loan or a personal loan. So those are unsecured debts. Uh, Cell phone plans and other utilities, uh, typically unsecured debts. You don't go and pledge an asset when you're signing for a new telephone or when you're getting BC Hydro set up. Uh, And then money owing to another person. So typically, if you're borrowing money from a friend or family member, they're usually not getting you to form to sign a formal security arrangement. So it's typically an unsecured debt. So what happens if you can't make payments on basic unsecured debts is creditors can take some of the following steps so they can charge you fees and penalties. So we all know if we miss a payment on the credit card, you know, the next bill has some nice charges on top of there. Uh, They can accumulate interest or increase your interest rates. Sometimes there's different interest rates that kick in if you have missed a payment. They can stop providing services. So someone like a cell phone provider or a hydro provider, you know, their recourse if unpaid is to cut you off quite often. Uh, What's usually the most impactful to an individual is they can engage a collection agency. So get someone involved to phone you morning, noon and night and um, talk down to you, make you feel intimidated. All of those things are a recourse for an unsecured debt. And then finally, if you borrowed from a bank with a credit card, um, they can exercise what's called the right of offset if you have your daily banking there. So if you missed a credit card payment uh, under bank X and you have a, a 
a savings account with Bank X as well, they can go into your account and take money from that account. That's called the right of offset. They can offset your assets against a liability owing to them. So unsecured creditors, they lack some of the immediate power that other creditors have. And you know we'll talk about that in, in a minute. But just to be aware, an unsecured creditor, if they choose to take you to court, if they choose to hire a lawyer, go to court and get a judgment against you, their debt can get some of the characteristics of secured debt, which we're going to talk about in a couple minutes here, they could have more recourse where they could be able to seize assets or even seize wages. So it's possible for an unsecured debt to get a whole lot more teeth behind it, but it does require some extra legal steps, legal costs on behalf of the creditor to really escalate it to that point. Okay. So let's keep on this, um, on this vein. Uh, can you elaborate on the other types of debt where creditors have more recourse if they aren't paid? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one that people don't always think about when they're signing on the dotted line, but is co-signed debt. So co-signed debt means that both parties are jointly legally responsible for 100% of any debt that goes unpaid that's been co-signed, not a 50-50 portion as a lot of people think. A lot of people think, okay, I've got co-signer on this account. My worst case is it's 50-50. No, it's 100% liability if there's a co-signer. And what it means when you bring in a co-signer on a debt is that your creditor now has a whole other set of pockets to reach into if your debt is not paid in accordance with the borrowing terms. Um, and you should proceed with caution. If you're ever asked to co-sign, our advice is usually it's it's not a wise decision to make because if the other person defaults or doesn't make payments as agreed, you could be asked to pay the full balance immediately. It becomes due and payable, something that you had never contemplated. You thought you were just helping somebody out to get approved for some loan, and then suddenly all of that loan becomes due and payable yourself. So co-sign debt can be quite problematic. Uh, government debt. So government debt by default is an unsecured debt, but the government can shortcut a bunch of the things I mentioned just a minute ago where I said, you know, an unsecured creditor has to sue you, has to take you to court before they can have a whole lot of recourse against you. Uh, the government can access collection methods like a wage garnishment or freezing your bank accounts even placing a lien on your property, they can do all of that virtually overnight without suing you in court. Um, and, you know, they're not going to do this without any notice to you, but it can happen relatively quickly. And it's also important to know there's no statute of limitations on government debt. So we've talked on previous segments about consumer debts. If a number of years go by, people lose the right to be able to sue you. Government debt never expires. There's no statute of limitations. So things like income tax debt, GST debt, um, any benefits, benefit overpayments for CERB or EI or CPP, uh, even federal and provincial student loans. These are debts that you have to face head on at some point. They just never go away on their own. Um, the final category of debt is secured debt. And this makes sense if unsecured debt is where you haven't pledged any assets. Secured debt means that you have pledged an asset or multiple assets as collateral to a lender. So that means if you don't pay the debt, the lender has the right to seize something from you. And it's written right in the documents when you take up that, that financing. So the most common examples are things like a mortgage or vehicle financing. And those debts are secured by a creditor holding a lien on your home or your vehicle vehicle until you've paid off the mortgage or the loan in full. So oftentimes banks might ask you to pledge an asset if you're looking for a consolidation loan. Um, you definitely want to be careful about that because you're basically giving them the right that if you don't pay on this loan, that asset can be seized from you. 
Um, and in some cases, a secured debt can be created after the fact. There are certain provisions for things like a mechanic or a builder's lien. If someone has done work for you and you haven't paid them, they can sometimes make a debt secured to your property. But the most common ones are a mortgage or a car loan. Um, those are your most common types of secured debt. So if you already know, if you're thinking, oh, okay, I, I need to take some action. If you know already that you want to sit down with somebody who's going to support you in making the best decision possible to deal with your debt situation with all the different options and all the different elements and all the different pieces that you get to sit down and talk to somebody who knows how to do this, give Sands & Associates a call and make that first appointment. It's 1-800-661-3030. Or you can go to the website at sands-trustee.com. So um, we know that you, as a licensed insolvency trustee and licensed insolvency trustees across the country, have um, some good debt solutions that maybe people have heard about, maybe they haven't heard about. So can we spend a little bit, the last part of this segment, talking about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, the, the biggest thing I want people to know is when they say, okay, well, there's secured debt, there's unsecured, there's government debt. Well, what can a trustee actually help me with? The answer is all of it. A trustee mm -hmm. is the only professional that can help you with each category of those debts. So a consumer proposal is a great option that about 85% of clients that we deal with um, choose to employ. And a consumer proposal allows you to legally consolidate all of your debt together. So all of your unsecured debts, um, put them into a single monthly payment, stop all of the interest and reduce it down to what you can afford. And to the extent that there are secured debts, a proposal gives you the option to say whether you want to continue with those debts or not. So a lot of the times the most common secured debt is a as a vehicle financing. So when we sit down with someone, we say, okay, you've got this car, whatever it is, it might be worth $20,000. You have a loan where you owe about $25,000 on it. Would you like to continue making those payments so that you'll own the car at the end? Or do you want to use the reset of a proposal to say, okay, we're going to return the car to the lender. We're going to deal with any of the aftermath as part of this whole proceeding and kind of move on from there. So it's not an automatic thing that if you file a proposal or even a personal bankruptcy, that you have to stop any of your secured creditor obligations. Again, if you wanted to keep paying on that car, for example, you'd be free to do so. And the same goes with a mortgage. So it's not an automatic thing that if you file a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, you have to stop paying on your mortgage and your house gets sold. Um, you have the option to continue if you want to keep that obligation or if you need to walk away from that because you owe way more than what the asset is worth, then either a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy can help in those situations. So everything like an unsecured debt that we've listed out from credit cards, overdrafts, payday loans, lines of credit, personal debts, no debts owing to another person, all of that can be included and dealt with when dealing with the trustee. And what's even more powerful when a lot of people think is that nobody has the power to reduce government debt. Well, nobody except for a licensed insolvency trustee. So either a personal bankruptcy or a consumer proposal can deal with all government debts like income tax, student loans, as long as you've been out of school for at least seven years, um, serve overpayments, essentially any amounts owing to government um, can be compromised, reduced and eliminated by working with a licensed insolvency trustee. Okay. Did you want to say anything more than that? Because I know we've got two minutes left and there's a couple of other sort of if you want to keep the asset, if you don't want to keep the asset in both situations. 
You know, I think one thing that could be useful for people to know when we talk about vehicle financing is the province of BC is unique amongst other provinces in Canada that I'm aware of, in that if you have a vehicle that's financed and you default on the payments, you stop making the payments, in a lot of other provinces, if that car is worth 20000 and you owe 25000 if they get that car back from you and they sell it at auction for 20000 for example, they're handing you a bill for the balance of what's unpaid on the loan. And most people think that's how it works in BC, but it's not. BC has a provision called seize or sue. And what that means is if you stop paying on a vehicle loan, uh, the creditor has to decide if they take the vehicle back from you, no matter what that vehicle sells for at auction, maybe that $20,000 car only recovered $10,000 at auction and the loan is for $25,000, it's the end of the obligation to you when you've surrendered that vehicle. So once they've seized the vehicle from you, if there's any shortfall, you're not responsible to it. So I have calls from people sometimes who say, you know, I owe 25000 on this car. I know I couldn't sell it for this amount. What should I do? The worst thing you could ever do is to sell the car yourself and pay back the debt partially because you're still going to owe the balance. The best thing is to actually default on that loan, let them come and get the car, and then that would extinguish the entire obligation. So all of these things a trustee will go through in great detail when you sit down and meet with us, but that's just one I wanted to highlight in our last minute here that seize or sue is something so important to know if you have a vehicle financing in BC that you think you might not want to continue with. And see, that's the advantage, folks, of talking to somebody who's a licensed insolvency trustee, because not everybody, one, may know that, two, know how to facilitate that. And a licensed insolvency trustee is the person, in this case, Blair, who he and Sands and Associates can facilitate that for you. And that's the beauty. That's the reason why uh, licensed insolvency trustees are the ones to see, because they have, there's just so much legal uh, power in the sense that they're, they're obliged to help you uh, take on these challenges, these debt problems and challenges. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. So this segment's all about good debt versus bad debt. And you might be a little bit surprised that there's actually something called good debt these days. But what makes it good or bad? Well, it kind of depends. And that's why Blair Manton, who's a BC licensed insolvency trustee, is going to explain to us how you might categorize and prioritize your debts and where you can get help in managing your debt repayment. So Blair, what would you say is the key factor on whether a debt be, could be considered good or bad? Well, thank you, Elaine. And it really is a case where, you know, debt, I've often heard it said that debt is like fire. It's a useful servant, but it's a lethal master. And it's the challenges so often we see clients where debt has become the master and is dictating their lives. But it's not in every situation does debt become a problem. And it's not that every type of debt is bad and needs to be avoided at all costs, because the reality is that without using credit, some things just aren't going to be attainable for most of us. Um, You know, usually if a debt is taken on with the expectation of a significant future benefit. It's a way of investing for the long run. That's a typical hallmark of what you might consider to be good debt. And some examples of those, I think none of these will be a surprise, uh, you know, buying a home. So typically very few people, especially with the run up in real estate prices, are able to pay cash for a home. Um, But they go into debt, they get a mortgage with the hope that you're going to eventually build equity over time. And you're also putting a roof over your head. So instead of paying rent, you're paying down a mortgage. So in many cases, Uh, you know, a mortgage is considered good debt. 
paying for education costs is another example, potentially a very good debt, because the idea is you're investing in yourself, you're going to increase your future earning capacity. So the whole idea is that this isn't money that's, you know, spent with no future benefit. The idea is this is money you're investing, you're putting away investing in yourself, uh, and that it's going to pay dividends in the future. You know, a final example here is the idea of starting your own business. Uh, a lot of the times to get a, a business off the ground, you have to go into debt. Um, if the business ends up being very successful in the future, you know, that's a good example of a type of good debt. Now, on the other side, in terms of what's considered bad debt, you know, it's basically the opposite of what I've been talking about in terms of a long term benefit and investment, you know, the type of bad debt that tends to tends to really hurt people is the things that you've just used for fast consumption, um, to make ends meet, you know, oftentimes, there's just a short term benefit, or the thing that you're going into debt to purchase is not an asset that's going to appreciate over time, it's going to do the opposite, it's going to decline in value over time. Uh, the biggest example of that is vehicle financing. So it's not the case that every vehicle loan is bad, but there can be a lot of hallmarks of very poor, poorly structured vehicle loans. And one thing to take off, off the top right away is that essentially no vehicle is going to go up in value after you purchase it. You know, sure, there are some classic cars, but probably not what we're talking about here. But if you purchase a new vehicle, you know, as soon as you drive it off the lot, there's, you know, pick, pick a number, 15, 20% depreciation right there. So it's often the case that you end up owing far more than what that vehicle is worth for about the term of the loan. And then what can really be tough too, um, is it's almost been this, you know, this slow motion move towards in the last 20 years of longer and longer vehicle financing terms. So, you know, it, back when I was, you know, 16 years old, which was quite some time ago, it was three or four years typical of car payments. That was it. Now it's six, seven, eight, even longer than that. And yes, vehicles are lasting, but the vehicle at the end of eight years will be very depreciated in value. You probably still have a car payment. That can be a sort of bad debt that can really put you behind. And, and the last thing is just, you know, the idea of consumables that are bought on credit. So if you're having to put your household goods, your regular purchases, things like groceries on a credit card, you know, obviously it's good that you're making your ends meet and meeting your necessities. But the bad thing is the cost of that is just going to continue to escalate as you get hit with interest costs every month. So the other thing I was thinking about is not everybody, though we may want something or need something, but not always can we afford to do it. So that, so I'm thinking that there's another piece that we need to really look at or that a person needs to look at too. Well, exactly so, Elaine, because, you know, we started off by saying, hey, there's a couple examples of good debt. You know, I gave a mortgage and a student loan, but, you know, very quickly, those can become bad debt if they're not managed appropriately. You know, a mortgage can be a huge problem if you've borrowed too much or you haven't, you know, stress tested your finances to deal with the increasing interest rates which have become a reality right now. So the mortgage, rather than being a source of salvation and you're building equity, you could be in a situation where the interest rates are higher now, the mortgage is too high, and you might have to sell that house at a loss. So that's a definition of bad debt if you have to sell a house at a loss and be on the hook uh, for what the mortgage holder won't get paid back. Um, you know, even student loans as well, um, you know, that can be bad debt as well. If you're, you know, you're going to school, you're spending costs, but if you don't complete the program or if you haven't really looked into the nuts and bolts, all the details about your earning potential and how long it's going to take you to pay down that debt before you incur it, you know, student loan debt can be a very bad debt as well. If you're getting no benefit from the education, but you have tens of thousands of dollars of debt that is going to be required to be paid back. Okay. So before we continue on talking about 
I don't know, uh, considerations, things you should pay attention to uh, before using credit. I want to remind everyone that if you know already that you're in a situation where you need some assistance, the number to get a hold of Blair and Sands and Associates in general, a wonderful company that's all over the province, here's the phone number. It's 1-800-661-3030. So what are the considerations or tips that you'd recommend for folks, Blair, when it comes to using credit? Well, you want to assess the pros and the cons of each transaction when you decide whether to use credit or not. And again, there are some advantages to using credit. So, you know, the number one advantage to using credit is you don't need to wait to save up the cash needed for your major goals. And as we talked about, you know, buying a home or financing a post-secondary education, that's typically something that you're not going to have the money saved up ahead of time. So in those situations, there might be a lot of pros to, to going into debt because you're actually going to be able to get that asset or get that education. Uh, in some cases when you're using credit there can be perks or rewards on your day-to-day -day purchases if you were going to buy something anyway and if you put it on the credit card you get some points for it well you know that could be an advantage but obviously and we talk about this a lot on the show you've got to not be swayed um, by the inflated value sometimes of those rewards programs if you have to carry a balance even a single month you've already eclipsed any of that value of the reward spend there so do be a bit careful uh, and then finally using credit um, you know it's something that's going to help you build a positive credit history so in the future if you do need to borrow if you need to get that mortgage or get a credit card you can qualify at better rates or even best rates if you've got a really good uh, history of using credit responsibly and, and paying it back. Now, of course, on the other side, on the downside, the cons to using credit, well, first off, it costs you money. Um, so every time that you borrow money, you have to pay back a higher amount than you've borrowed or else it wouldn't be worth the lender's time. And those are typically your interest charges. So when you think about credit card interest, that increases the true cost of purchases if you don't pay something off in full right away. We did an analysis a few years ago of, you know, Christmas presents bought on credit and you might think you're getting a wonderful deal, you know, shopping the Black Friday sale. But if you have to carry that balance for three, four, six months on your credit card, uh, you're not getting any sort of a deal at all. So you really do have to to make sure you've, you've assessed assess the full cost of a purchase that you're going to make. And then the idea of being stuck in debt repayments. So quite often when people are in debt, the benefit of what they've went into debt for, especially if it's the bad debt that we've talked about, the consumption or just making ends meet each month, you know, that benefit is gone. But every month it's taking money away from yourself now and in the future it will continue to do so. So you're paying current dollars to deal with past spending, which might not be giving you any, any current benefit at this time. So you definitely want to take a minute to make sure you've evaluated the risks and the benefits before you incur credit. And there are certain habits that you might want to put in place that can help you just to make sure that if you do incur credit, it's going to be manageable and not get out of control. Um, a couple quick things, um, you know, one is to keep your borrowing limits low. So just because the bank says, you know, you're approved for 10 or 20 or $30,000, whatever it might be, doesn't mean you have to accept that. And sometimes having that temptation of a whole lot of available credit um, that can cause people to make decisions they might not already make and sometimes even get a false sense of security and saying well if the bank thinks that I'm good for it I must be good for it they must know something you know they're watching behind the scenes 
they're not watching behind the scenes. So you've got to be your own arbiter of your financial health. Um, so definitely keeping limits low can be good. And then be careful what, what transactions you do use credit for, because not all transactions have an interest-free grace period. So if you're using cash advances or making lottery ticket purchases, you're immediately incurring, incurring interest charges from the day that you make that transaction. So you definitely would want to think twice about that. And then finally, it's always the best practice to just pay as much as you can if you do have a credit balance, uh, definitely more than the minimum because the minimum payment is going to keep you trapped in debt for a very, very long time, even on a relatively small balance. Now, I, I know that you've got a really good list for folks to pay attention to of things to watch for or signs w to show you if you're not already conscious and aware of it, that you are headed towards a bigger problem or a bigger trouble than you currently have. Can we spend the last bit of this segment talking about those? Because it may come, some of them may come as a surprise to someone. Yeah, I think that that's very good for our listeners to hear that because in some cases you might hear all of these say, oh, maybe one of them, you know, it ticks the box a little bit, but it, okay, I'm going to think about it, but I'm okay. Uh, someone might hear it and say, hey, I'm ticking four or five of these off. I didn't realize it, uh, but you know, maybe it is time for me to have a conversation. Uh, so a couple things are so right off the top. If you're avoiding the fact, the problem, avoiding the facts, avoiding your account balances, not opening your bill statements, um, not dealing with your creditors if they call you, that's a big warning sign and probably you know that you wouldn't be avoiding if it was really good good news. Um, the second one is really just, it's different for everybody, but I don't know anybody who is unaffected by finding themselves unable to pay their debt. So many people feel overwhelmed, they feel anxious, stressed, worried about the debts or what creditors might be able to do if they're not able to pay. So there's a really simple adage, and I think it's very true, if you feel like you have a debt problem, odds are that you probably do. And it's time for you to have that conversation if you're starting to feel that anxiety and that worry. Um, sometimes there's some just hallmarks of what we would call a high risk debt situation. And these are things like you're using payday loans or other, they're called fast cash or even installment loans. These are often the lender of last resort. It's where you can't go, where you go if you can't get approved anywhere else. And where they make up for their risk is they charge huge fees. So payday loans can be up to almost 500% of annual interest, uh, even installment loans, consolidation loans. I've seen them in the high 40% per year, uh, which to me, it's just a ticking time bomb at that point. If you consolidate your debt, you can't afford to pay an extra 40% a year on that. Um, so you really need to make sure if you're any of those high risk categories, you are reaching out for help. Uh, and then finally, just looking at your budget and seeing even if you are making all your debt payments and the credit score is okay, because you're keeping up on minimums, is that sustainable with your budget? Is that too much of your income that's going to pay off debt? And it's really compromising what you and your family can do in the present. And this is the part where I just want to talk about Sands and Associates for a moment. Um, the things that I know that are true about the company, just because we've talked to so many folks who work uh, w within the, the company uh, over the years of doing the show, that these people are not only incredibly intelligent and uh, experienced in handling and dealing and working with folks that have uh, a debt problem, uh, but there's a whole... Um, list of, of things that they'll work with you on, as well as to ensure that you don't get in this uh, position again, which is why I want to tell you, Sands and Associates, you can go to their website and check them out, sands-trustee.com, or give them a call. They have offices all over British Columbia now. It's 1-800-661-3030. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. It is tax time. 
Uh, we're, you need to start thinking about your tax return and getting that organized and getting all the information organized. So we're going to talk about um, best practice tips from Blair Manton, of course, and Blair's from Sands & Associates, uh, president of Sands & Associates. So just the perfect person to share some tax tips, do's and don'ts, uh, everything from smart refund spending to managing a big tax balance and more. So what are some tax time tips applicable for virtually everyone, Blair? You, me, everybody. Yeah, I think the first one is to know if, what, and when you need to file a tax return. So CRA, Gen Canada Revenue Agency, requires at least an annual Canadian T1 general tax return to be filed for most people, but there are some exceptions and there can be some additional filing requirements depending on your personal or your business situation. Now, it's important that you don't assume just because you didn't have any income or you think you won't owe any tax balance that you shouldn't bother to file. I've heard that over the years. Oh, government owes me money. You don't need to file. If they owe you money, you can just wait. Well, you could choose to wait, but it's usually in your best interest to file your taxes every year because many government credits rely on CRA information to actually disperse the credits and benefits. So things like the Canada Dental Benefit, the Canada Housing Benefit, Canada Child Benefits, uh, the GIS, the Guaranteed Income Supplement for Seniors, GST credits, etc. So if you don't file your taxes, odds are those monies that are supposed to be flowing to you will just get stopped because CRA won't have the ability to provide the verification needed for the authorities to disperse these funds to you. So sometimes it's interesting in our office, if someone comes in, they haven't filed, you know, for five or 10 years or so. Uh, once we help the person get caught up with their taxes, sometimes it's thousands of dollars that they're receiving in tax refunds and GST credits. I've even had situations where somebody thought they had, you know, too much debt, they needed our help, we filed their taxes and the amount of refunds they got was actually a enough to pay off their debt. So they were, you know, quite happy to, to not have to restructure. They were just able to get the money that was, you know, due and payable to them for years, but they hadn't completed that step of actually filing their retirement, filing their returns each year. You know, a secondary uh, reason why you want to file your tax returns is you need to be able sometimes to prove your income, to prove your financial situation. If it's for credit or for a housing application or something like that, it's quite often people will ask for your notice of assessment or your last tax return filed. So it's important that you've done that each year and you can provide that when required. In terms of knowing what your filing requirements are, um, especially for a self-employed person, you know, just saying, I didn't know the rules and that's why I didn't get things done right, that's not an excuse that CRA will ever accept in any meaningful way. So what we recommend is if you go to Canada.ca and navigate to the taxes section, there's some really good information about filing requirements and helping you identify what you need to file. But if you have any sense that as a self-employed person, this is beyond your scope of expertise and your abilities, you want to get help from a reputable bookkeeper or, or an accountant, just make sure things get filed correctly. You might think, oh, this is a cost that I, I don't need to absorb, but trust me, the cost of doing it wrong can well eclipse any cost that a good accountant might, might charge you to actually do things right the first time. Uh, you know, the last thing is you just want to make sure you get educated on any of the scams that are out there. There are so many things still going on right now. People will call you saying they're from CRA. There's often a bunch of red flags. You know, they ask you to buy gift cards or whatnot. Um, um, but they're very sophisticated and that the caller ID might show up, um, you know, completely as Canada Revenue Agency. They might give you a number to call back that seems very legitimate, but it's also part of the same scam. So just be aware of what's out there and the government actually publicizes, you know, some of the most common scams and what to look out for. So 
if you know what and when and if you need to file, the second thing is to make sure that you file and that you pay on time because filing on time makes sure that no benefits are disrupted, um, but filing on time also helps you to avoid any late filing penalties. And the key date to keep in mind is April 30th. That's when every individual in Canada is required to file and pay their income tax amounts owing. And April 30th is a Sunday, so you've got until the Monday, which is, you know, May 1st. Um, Self-employed individuals have a little bit more time to file their return. They've got until June 15th, but it's so important self-employed people are aware that you actually have to have paid your tax balance owing on April 30th, even if you don't know what it is. As weird as that sounds, you have to estimate what that tax balance is. If you overestimate and you pay too much, the government's going to give you some money back. If you underestimate and don't pay enough, the government's going to charge you interest. So you generally want to err on the side of maybe overpaying a little uh, and then get the returns filed by June 15th, but make sure those payments are in by April 30th. Yeah, good, super good advice. Yeah, regardless of whether of when you file, you still have to pay by that April 30th period. Mm -hmm. There's no no room for uh, for moving around on that. Uh, if you've already decided, you know, in your heart, on your mind, or in your pocketbook that you want to do things differently for next year's tax return, and you want to get your debt looked after and get things in order, make 2023 a little bit better, uh, give Sands & Associates a call. Uh, they're 1-800-661-3030 is the phone number, or check out the website at sands-trustee.com. Um, do you want to talk about the Filing deadline is April 30th, but since that's a Sunday, I know you just mentioned it briefly, um, mm -hmm. but is there anything else that I'm just looking ahead to see if there's anything else around that we need to pay attention to? I guess the May 1st date is something that we need to pay attention to as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, April 30th becomes May 1st just because it's Got on it. Sunday. So CRA says, yeah, you can just pay on that last day. Uh, okay, I think it's great. important for people to know if they're going to get a tax refund, you know, sometimes people say, well, that's free money coming back to you, to me. Well, it's not. It's actually your money. You know, you gave the government an interest-free loan, so to speak. Um, so you just want to make sure you're going to use that refund well. And the best advice that we've seen at Sands & Associates is to take that refund and earmark it for your irregular expenses, the things that you know are going to happen throughout the year but don't come up every month. It can sometimes leave you short. Um, so sometimes it's an insurance renewal, um, household or vehicle maintenance or repairs, uh, or maybe you want to take that money and just pay something down on your debt if you're carrying some balances. Um, you know, the best thing to do if you don't have any irregular expenses and aren't carrying debt is to build that emergency fund. So up to six months of fixed expenses. If you had an income interruption, that emergency fund is going to hold you over and help you move forward. And a good tax refund can help you have a really good start to an emergency fund. Those are great ideas. What about for folks who expect to owe a tax bill when they file? Yeah, the, the best advice, of course, is if you're able to pay it off right away, well, then, you know, you try to do that. But you also want to consider, well, why do I owe these taxes and what can I do in the future so that this doesn't happen every year? A couple of common reasons why people end up owing taxes is that they're working multiple jobs. And this can be just, you know, frustrating because you're trying to do the best that you can to support your family. you got a second job. But what happens is that quite often the taxes deducted from each individual job are not enough as if you had earned the income from the same job. So it means each employer is deducting taxes at a certain amount, uh, but that amount might not be high enough based on the combined income for your multiple jobs. So what you need to do is to plan ahead for the next year. It can be very simple. You speak to your employer or the payroll department and ask one or both of them to just withhold a little bit extra on your taxes um, on each paycheck so that you don't have that bill at the end of the month. So if you owe $1,200 in taxes this year, you might ask each of your uh, 
jobs each month. There's two of them to take off an extra $50 a month. So, you know, worst case, if you've withheld too much, you're going to get that money back at the end of the year, but at least you're not going to have a significant balance owing. Um, the second big one is if you're cashing in RRSPs, um, just be aware that the tax withheld when you cash in those RRSPs might not be sufficient to pay the actual tax bill at the end of the year. So the, your bank might withhold, you know, 10 to 30% of that, of that amount as a withholding, but your tax rate might be 45 or even 50%. So there could be still a significant balance owing if you cash in RRSPs. So it's coming back to our classic advice. If you're cashing in RRSPs to pay debt, you should stop, get advice because it's usually not a good idea, but there could be other reasons why you're cashing in RRSPs and you just want to make sure you've calculated what the tax impact is going to be and put that money aside before it's gone. Now, is there one little bit in our last bit here about being self-employed that you've seen over and over again that self-employed people, sort of a mistake that they make and what they can do not to make that mistake? Yeah, one thing as a self-employed person to be aware is, first off, nobody's paying CPP or income tax payments on your behalf. So you have to be prepared to pay those. And we generally recommend on a monthly basis. But I've seen client after client not be aware of GST requirements. So you mm. need to be aware if you earn more than $30,000 in revenue each year, you're required to register with CRA and collect GST. There's only a small number of professions where this doesn't apply, very few. And in other cases, if you were required to register and you didn't, CRA is just going to assess you based on your gross earnings in your business and say, well, you should have collected that 5%. Even if you didn't, we're holding you accountable for it. So make sure you understand your GST obligations. Well, that's great advice, Blair. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. So making plans to pay off your debt Blair's got some expert tips to help you get there. It's always a great time to plan for our future selves. I love that idea, especially when it comes to paying off debt. But Blair and the team at Sands & Associates help consumers right across the province who are looking for support in achieving their debt-free goals. Blair's going to share some tips uh, so that you've got a bit of a plan to tackle your debt. So Blair, first question, from your perspective, what are some examples of financial habits that are good to have? And I love this because we often talk about what we shouldn't be doing, but the things that are good to have and good to be comfortable with as we go forward. Well, certainly, Elaine, and it's definitely the case everybody's finances are different. It's unique to every individual and to household, but there's definitely a few categories of things that are just the best practice, almost always nearly applicable to everybody, um, especially if you've got a goal of being debt-free. And the first one to talk about is to set some financial goals. So to have an idea of where you want to get to with your finances, so it could be something like paying off a credit card or cutting down some costs that you think are too high, but the ability to achieve a goal and then congratulate yourself on meeting that goal, it's important. It can bring, build some momentum, and the more visible progress that you're making, the better you're going to feel about your finances and the more you're going to want to continue. So, you know, some key things to think about with goals, again, it's all personal, but you want to come up with a few measurable, achievable goals across different time frames and put them on paper and start to map out how you're going to get there. So a couple of ideas, you know, one might be to create a household budget, uh, to pay off a debt, to have a will written, um, to get a professional retirement plan. So it's not always, you know, a, a financial goal. It can be something that's just really good housekeeping, like a will or estate planning. Uh, and it's okay to start small, you know, even just deciding on a goal and making a plan to meet it. 
that can be itself a goal. You know, my goal this month is to, to start making goals. That can be something that you can achieve. So that's just really important is to set some financial goals. Um, you know, a lot oftentimes a financial goal to set has to do with some savings and whether it could be an emergency fund, um, a holiday, retirement, or post-secondary, you know, that can be a really good goal to start. And once you have that cushion of savings, um, you know, that can really help you if something unexpected does happen in your life and you need to dip into that. Um. You know, I just wonder, is in all the people that you've talked to, is that kind of a piece that is missing for them, having those, having a goal or having any kind of a goal when it comes to their uh, finances? That's a big piece, Elena. That's night and day when someone meets with us because part of our counseling sessions, um, you know, a big part of that is setting financial goals for the short, medium, and long term. And sometimes people are just amazed that they're actually allowed to have goals. You know, just because you're writing off your debt and starting again, you're allowed to plan for the future. So a lot of the times when I meet with people, you know, they're just so in the moment, in the eye of the storm, having people call them, harass them, their paycheck is spent before they get it type of thing. So a lot of the times people just haven't thought about financial goals for a long time. Um, and sometimes what's even useful to do um, is, you know, just to think about if you're in debt, your goal is to become debt free, but then to determine how realistic is that given what you're doing. Uh, one great tool that we talk about a lot on this show uh, is called the rule of 60. Okay, it's very, very simple. And what you would do is take your consumer debt, so things not your mortgage or your car loan, but credit cards, lines of credit, student loans, income taxes, anything like that, take that and divide the total by 60, and then just take a look at that payment. So if it was $24,000 of debt and you divided it by 60, well, that's $400 a month. How does that look to you? Can you be paying $400 a month on your debt? Are you paying more than that now? Or are you struggling to make even half of that payment? That can be re really illustrated to say, well, you might be making your payments now, but you're going to be in debt for a long, long time. So looking at the rule of 60, that could be a really good way to say, if your goal is to be debt-free, well, start to do this math to see if you're going to get there under your own steam. That's such a good idea. And I, I just want to throw in at this point, if you were already thinking, yikes, I need some help, I need to talk to Blair, I need to talk to somebody at Sands & Associates to figure this out because I don't know the answers to those questions or I don't have any goals. It's so easy to do. Give them a call, 1-800-661-3030 or check out the website. Also, a great way to do this, sands-trustee.com. The the amount of information that we're inundated these days, uh, whether we search it out or it's just coming at us, must be pretty daunting for anybody that wants to kind of take a stab at fixing uh, fix figuring out their finances and how to resolve a debt issue. Well, and it even goes one worse than that, Elaine. So there's a ton of information that's out there, but there's also a lot of stuff that's out there that's just not true, and it's put out by folks who might have certain agendas who claim they can help you with your debt or not. So it's definitely the case. You know, it's, it's reader beware, buyer beware. When you're looking for debt help information, make sure you're always looking to a reputable source. Uh, and you need to make sure you're getting the advice of an expert, not just Google or not just going by what your friends or family members as well-intentioned as they might be. Uh, we have people all the time who said, you know, I took this action because, you know, the accountant in my family said, oh, this is 
what I have to do. And the accountant might be great at their specific uh, role of accounting, but when you're dealing with a debt repayment situation or an insolvency where there's not enough to pay everything back, you really need to do to get the expert advice at the time. And the best expert for you to see is a licensed insolvency trustee. Yeah. But you know, aside aside from knowing who to call, you also need to know what's your current situation. So you need to spend some time putting together an accurate picture of yourself and your finances. Uh, it doesn't need to be overly sophisticated, but a couple of really important things uh, is you need to list down all of your debts and how much you pay toward each bill each month. Uh, you need to inventory your assets and figure out, okay, I've got all the documentation that I need, the registration and policies. This is just good financial housekeeping. Um, make sure you're filed up to date with your taxes, your tax return, and your notice of assessment. And then once you've got that as a good base, the most important thing for people to really uh, either get out of debt or avoid getting into it um, is to check in on your budget regularly. So to have a budget, but more importantly, to measure yourself against it on a regular basis. And it and it sounds like that would could potentially be pretty onerous on somebody. But I think you guys have it figured out that it doesn't have to be. There's some very simple, thoughtful ways to go about that. Yeah, it definitely doesn't have to be anything that's overly difficult. You know, if you're a very tech-savvy person, there's some really great apps out there. You just upload your debit information, and they'll start to categorize your transaction for you. It can be a simple spreadsheet. It can be a simple written record. There's a lot of different ways to get at it, but it's just really important that you're tracking your income and your expenses because you're not going to know if you've got a you know a small amount of overspending on a continuous basis. You're not going to know that unless you've got your budget and you're measuring against it each time. And then sometimes what you'll see when you start to actually look at your transaction, are you getting value for all the services and costs that you're being charged? Um, are you seeing charges that don't appear familiar? Maybe there's a subscription you thought you canceled, but they're still billing you. So it's really important that, you know, even if you ended the month saying, oh my gosh, I know I overspent and I didn't do well, you should go back and look and really try to identify the problem and then also see if there are some potential corrective actions you can take that maybe you didn't think about before. Now, are there a couple of signs as we wrap this segment up, Blair, that, that really stick out that people go, oh, oh, I remember hearing about that. If that shows up, I need to do something about it. You know, I think the number one thing to keep in mind is if your budget doesn't have any room for savings, that's a really good indication it's going to be difficult to stick to that budget because life does always intervene. And if your budget is to the point where every dollar you come in is already spoken for, there's nothing to have a savings for an emergency fund, um, you're in a very precarious position. So you really do want to get to the point where you've got a budget that's reasonable, you're checking in on it, but there is some component that's there uh, earmarked for savings for an emergency fund for the future. That's the number one reason why uh, a budget can really help you and really help you get a, get a handle on a debt problem is making sure there's some room there for savings. Okay. I And in closing, I just want to mention, you know, Sands and Associates can work with you, whether it be in person or remotely. You can get support from a qualified professional to help you meet those goals and become debt-free for good without leaving the comfort of your home, which I think is super important. If you're ready to make some debt payments, a thing of the past, connect with Sands, and this is the best way to do it. Book a free confidential debt consultation. Uh, the phone number, one 800 661 3030 or visit the website at sands-trustee.com. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.